Welcome to the podcast. I am Shane Barker, your host of Shane Barker's Marketing Madness Podcast. Today's episode is about social media and content marketing. Today, we'll discover how to leverage social media and content marketing to grow your brand. And I have with me Alan C, an expert in both content and social media marketing, and he's the principal CMO of CMO Temps LLC. He's also been recognized as one of the 50 most influential CMOs on social media by Forbes. Listen as he reveals the secret sauce behind his massive social media following and how he gained authoritativeness. You'll definitely find Alan's journey becoming influential very interesting. Alan, so give us a little background about your stuff. Like, where did you grow up? How big is your family? Like, kind of give us a little, like, how did Alan's life start off here? Like, give us a little background. Right. So, I, I'm actually really proud of the little town that I, uh, I grew up in. I, I grew up in Grinnell, Iowa, which is located right between Des Moines and, and Iowa City. And, and if you're familiar with American history, Horace Greeley, the, the great publisher in the 1850s, said, go west, young man, go west. And, and it's supposed that it was J.B. Grinnell that he said that to. And so go west, Grinnell did to, to Iowa, where he founded the town of Grinnell and Grinnell College. So uh, Grinnell College is there in, in Iowa. And some little known facts about, uh, about Grinnell College is that actually the first Bachelor of Arts degrees were granted from Grinnell College. And the first intercollegiate football game was Grinnell College, who played what was then the University of Iowa, and Grinnell College won. <laughs> now, Grinnell College today is a Division III non-scholarship school, but it is um, a well-known school. In fact, Robert Noyce, the, the, the founder of Intel, is a graduate of Grinnell College it's a very um, prestigious school, probably the most expensive school in Iowa, and you wouldn't think of, of that type of stuff being in a, in a small town of 8,000 out in the cornfields. That's awesome. Boy, you're coming with some, some facts. I like that. So you, that's, that's, and you have every right in the world to be proud of that. That's kind of awesome. I never knew that. You know, you never know the, the background of colleges and how things start off and, you know, who's graduated from them, but it's always kind of fun to hear because you never know, you know? Like I said, you would just not expect to hear those type of alumni from Grinnell. Gary Cooper, the, the actor, was a, yeah. a graduate of, of, of Grinnell College. So how a little town like that attracts what becomes that kind of talent is really a story in itself. Yeah, no, it absolutely is. And so tell us a little bit about your family. So um, how many brothers and sisters, mom and dad, all the fun stuff? Yeah, so I'm from a small family. In fact, I only have one younger sister, but my parents were from large families. In fact, my mom had nine brothers and sisters. So my extended family, aunts, uncles, cousins, is quite large. And so, you know, family yeah. gatherings during Christmas was a, a packed house. So I guess I had the advantages of both. I mean, a small family as far as the direct family, but an extended family that was very large. That's awesome. And you have, is it a brother or sister? One younger sister. One younger sister. Uh, gotcha. And what does she do? Out of curiosity. Yeah. So believe it or not, she actually drives. So when you see these oversized loads, like they're hauling a... Yeah, like a mobile home or something. Yeah, something. something well, even extra large, like the big propellers that you see on wind turbines yeah. and things like that. Yeah. She is the before or after driver for those large trucks and in fact had been a truck driver herself. So she loves to be on the road and she's really good at doing that type of work and hey. she's doing what she loves. She's getting paid to tour the country. It didn't sound like too bad, a, too bad of a deal to me. Yeah. I, I, I try to do that with my speaking stuff. Like I always try to get international speaking gigs and people go, isn't it harder? And I go, yeah, but then I got to travel. I got to go there, oh, yeah. you know, the, food, the culture and stuff. And 
I mean, I was just, uh, I talked about this in one of my last podcasts. I was just in Singapore about a few weeks ago. I mean, it was a 17 and a half hour flight, so it's not yeah. close by any means. But man, the food and everything else was just amazing. So anyways, I love that kind of stuff. Any kind of time, I, anytime I get to travel and I, I lie to people and they, I tell them it's just to speak, it's actually, there's other secret motives behind oh, that sure. to be able to travel a country. Sure. So not a thing at all. So give us an interesting fact about you know, when we talk about you know, like, you know, growing up and like, what would be something that nobody would know about? I mean, obviously you gave us some interesting facts about the college there locally, like what would be something that people might not know about you? Like obviously you've been in marketing for 30 years is something we'll, we'll touch on the podcast, but give us like another random fact that maybe nobody would know about that you, from your background. Like I had one of my guys, Aaron, that was on and he was up, used to be a fireman and we had, you know, he just randomly brought, yeah, I used to be a fireman for you know, 24,000 people applied for this job and only 24 people got it. And I became a fireman. So is there any cool, fun, interesting facts that you've got? Well, I don't know how cool or, or interesting it is. I, you know, growing up, I did not ever think that I was going to be in, in sales or marketing. In fact, growing up, I thought I was going to be an astronaut. I mean, I was nine, 10 years old in 1969 when the first man on the moon landed. And I thought, oh, that has to be so cool. And so going through high school, I actually started off college at the Naval Academy. Mm. You know, I thought I would go into Naval Air and then and become an astronaut. And, and also along the way, I had pretty good luck in, in sports at, at a small Iowa high school. And I thought, and yeah, while I'm doing it, I'm just going to play Division One football. Well, well, you can't really see on the podcast here, but uh, I'm not exactly division one size. And those boys from Navy, you know, that might not be a USC or, or uh, an Alabama or whatever, but they're big and they're fast. And I just got crushed there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to be careful. Football, where they, I mean, whether it doesn't have to be a division one college to know that it can be painful out there. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. So you're looking at the astronaut. That's, that's kind of awesome. I, I think when I was younger, I wanted to be, I think a Firemen came across. I don't know why that was. I'm trying to think why that would have been. But a fireman, I guess I always liked fire trucks and thought that was kind of awesome. And it just, I don't know. The, my issue with that is the only thing with firemen is I'm not a huge fan of blood. So last time I checked, that's probably not the best. They're usually the first responders on stuff. So that kind of put that on the list. My brother-in-law is actually a captain of the fire department there in, in Cincinnati. And I mean, they, they have a great job up until that bell rings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. then it's really serious. I mean, yeah, the I mean, that everyone are running out of, they're running into. <laughs> yeah, well, they're, it's definitely a different breed. I mean, you know, they obviously keep people protected and it's an awesome profession. Everybody looks up to firemen for sure. Yes. Um, and then, so where do you currently live? Are you still in, in Ohio? No. no, so I actually ended up finishing college down in Texas, Abilene, Texas, Abilene Christian University. I, I did my BBA and MBA there and started work with NCR Corporation. And yeah was transferred by NCR from Texas to the world headquarters in Dayton, Ohio. And, and Dayton, Ohio is where I am right now, the uh, birthplace of aviation with the Wright brothers. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So you seem like you're kind of big into history too, huh? Are you a little bit of a history buff or you just... You know what? Most definitely. And in fact, that's probably one of the things I'm most proud of is in the last couple of years, um, I've become a member of the, the Sons of the American Revolution. As it turns out, my seventh great grandfather, John C., was at Valley Forge with General Washington. Wow. Got a, a long history of um, my family being here before the United States was even the United States and then being part of that westward migration. In fact, my grandfather 
was born in a sod cabin on the eastern plains of Colorado, where my uh, great grandfather was homesteading. <laughs> so yeah. uh, just, uh, you know, some deep roots. And I'm, I'm just really proud of that. Yeah, it's funny. So my father, my biological father is really big into history and stuff. So like understanding like your family and the right. heritage and all that kind of stuff. Really interesting to me. I, we have a little Facebook group that we everybody posts everything about that. So it's always kind of nice to see old pictures and kind of not forget that because I think it's, you know, especially in, I would say in the US, I mean, I know a lot of my friends, like I have friends that are Hispanic and Mexican, they have these long things of like these huge families and they're always talking about this and that. And my family didn't necessarily do that as much. And so I'm, I'm glad to see that we're kind of bringing that out. I'm, I'm learning more about, I guess, the history, you know, I mean, it's, I, I think that's the kind of thing that we kind of miss, you know, when it comes to, you know, you, the years go on and then you forget about yeah. the past. And I important to kind of think about that. I was just lucky. My, my, actually my grandfather, when he retired, he and my grandmother, he was a real genealogy buff and he, he just drove all over the country to libraries and cemeteries, tracking all this, this information down. And then my dad carried it on and I really wasn't interested in it until the last couple of years. And now I'm finding that, wow, this is, this is some really cool stuff. It's yeah. a shame to, to lose that history. Yeah. So tell me about like, I mean, obviously there's, I mean, you have a lot of yourself have history, right? And there's just in, when it comes to social media, when it comes to marketing and being a CMO. So you're also an instructor over at uh, University of Phoenix. So how do you like that? So as I've said before, you know, I, I love to teach, but I hate to grade papers. And I've, I've been lucky to have been able to teach at the University of Phoenix where they're, they're going to attract students that well, the average age is like 34, 35 years old. And so more people who didn't finish college earlier in their life or have decided that at this point in their life, they want to go ahead and get the degree. So the courses are more at night and you're dealing with an, an older audience. I've taught, you know, undergrads that are in that 18 to 22 year group as well. And the teaching experience is really different. I mean, the 34, 35 year old who's been out in the real world, you know, so to speak, they're going to listen to the theory that comes from the textbook. But at the end of the night, they really want you to tell them something that they can go use tomorrow. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah it needs to be applicable. And the, the questioning and, and the pushback is just the discussion is much, is much different than that you would find in a, in a regular university, which I feel it's a shame. I mean, I, I have an MBA, but because I don't have the PhD, you know, my chances of becoming a tenured professor at, you know, a state university are, are really practically zero because that's just the way the not-for-profit type of universities are, are structured, it, that they tenured professors are going to have, have PhDs and more theory-based and research and things like that, which is, is all good and fine. But in setting through some of the, the classes, I know that students are, are missing a lot by not having professors who have actually been out in the, the real world to bring that perspective. Because here just recently, I've been actually auditing a class. And as a person auditing the class, I'm supposed to just sit there and observe. I'm not supposed to add to the discussion or, or anything. But the questions that they're not asking is just killing me. I, I just want to, to jump in and say, oh my gosh, why aren't you asking him this and, and that? Yeah. So it's funny. So I teach at UCLA right now. And it's funny when you talk about being an instructor, because this is within the last two years that this has started for me. When I found that out about you, I thought, oh, well, we probably have a lot to talk about there just because of, I guess, like what it takes to be a teacher. I never realized that, right? I never realized like what it takes because right. you think, I mean, you know, as a, when I was a student, I was like, oh, they're teachers. They go and they know what they're talking about or whatever. I, you get some curriculum together. It's fine. But it like to get that curriculum together in my classes at UCLA were on Tuesday nights, Tuesday from 630 to 9th, there's a personal branding and how to be an influencer course. And it's kind of crazy the amount of prep that oh, goes into. Absolutely. 
absolutely crazy. And then obviously the students as well, you know, you're trying to, you know, you want to educate the youth as you touched on the University of Phoenix, a little bit of an older demographic, but definitely probably more real world experience, right? Of like, they're not just going to take what you're giving them. They're going to say, okay, get your saying that, but this, 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 and this, right? Not quite just, I'm just ready to soak everything in. It's like, mm, I might pull your card and ask you some questions about that because of this, this, as they should, right? Oh, absolutely. Because everybody's um, experience is different. And just because your experience was different than mine, doesn't mean that you're wrong. I am perfectly comfortable with the theory that it's okay for us to agree to disagree. Yeah. And I'm okay for them to say that to me and I'm okay to say that to somebody else. And I can walk away happy and be okay knowing that from my perspective, based on my experiences, that's just not the call that I would make. I don't know if this is true or not. Maybe again, this is just from my experience. I will say I feel like many tenured professors that have only have the academic experience aren't used, would not be comfortable if somebody said, I'm going to agree to disagree with you. Well, I think because what happens is, and, and not to put all professors in one category, but there becomes a situation, I think, when they know that if they don't have the real world experience, when people start to question that by asking questions, and sometimes that can be uncomfortable for them, right? So it's like when you're asking something, you're like, God, I don't know the answer to this, and I'm supposed to be the all-knowing instructor. I'm like you. I'm For me, it's like if I don't have an answer, I'm going to tell you what my experience is, and I'll tell you what I think but I'm not the end all be all, right? I mean, just because I'm here in front of you, I mean, I do have the experience for, they brought me in, so UCLA brought me in because of my experience in personal branding and influencer marketing. So I was very fortunate in that sense, but I'm not to say that I'm, you know, I'm not the pinnacle. Like I have more knowledge than most, but I'm, you know, if you have something that you're going to bring to the table, I have no problem with saying, hey, yeah, I agree with that or I don't agree with that or whatever. So for me, I'm very more open to constructive criticism if it's there. And once again, I'm okay with that. I don't want people to think that I think that I know everything because I don't, right? Every, we're all students of the game and every day we're learning. Absolutely. In fact, that's the one thing that I consider myself or and hope that I never lose is I want to be a lifelong learner. As soon as you turn off the learning, that's the day you start dying for sure. And yeah. I love to read, to explore new ideas, and I, I hope to always be a lifelong learner. Yeah, well, you seem like that type of a person, though. It's, you know, I can't imagine you you shutting down and not going to learn anything else. That's what I like about our profession. So I like about social media and content marketing and SEO, all that fun stuff. There's always new levels and always new things to learn. So it's kind of I enjoy that kind of the hustle of that. I, that there's always something you know, with clients and stuff like that. It is fun. You know, I, you have a great social media following, right? So I think you got what almost eighty or ninety thousand on Twitter. You've got a, and then on Instagram, you've got I don't know five thousand followers, which is obviously phenomenal numbers. Like, when did you start on Twitter? And, and LinkedIn and like, what are your strategies for, for growing that? Because obviously you have a great following. Any, any like, some fun stuff that you can give the audience about how you did that? Well, really, first thing I'd tell them is sometimes it's better to be lucky than it is to be good. <laughs> and uh, I was an early adopter to both of the uh, platforms. So I was the 74,134th person to join LinkedIn, which sounds like a big number, but being one of the first 100,000 people, I was basically part of the beta group. And yeah, absolutely. I get an email from this, their CEO every couple of years or whatever, thanking me for being one of the first hundred thousand people. So I, I was into LinkedIn in like 2002. And I'll tell you from the get go. Well, you know, first of all, I haven't always been a marketer. I was in sales first. Hmm. I was in sales for 20 years before I made the transition over into marketing. And I, I was still in sales at the time I joined LinkedIn. And I really viewed LinkedIn as this isn't a resume tool. And in B2B sales, you're always searching for 
you know, who are the decision makers? Who are the contacts? And what can I learn about them so that I don't go in totally cold? I thought this tool is the best pre-sales type tool you could have. And so I just really, yeah. I really grabbed hold of it early and thought, you know, people can change jobs, but I'll always know where they are. And typically they kind of stay within the same industry. So perhaps I won't have to start sales motions totally from scratch, you know, if I, if I keep track of people. So early adopter of, of LinkedIn. I was, I joined Twitter shortly after, you know, first came out and when it came out at South by Southwest and was an early adopter to that. And then you mentioned SEO and such. I started seeing this power triangle in my head and I noticed how LinkedIn, Twitter, and a blog, a blog typically connected to a website, but between those three things, as you were building audience, I could actually see where it was driving. I could drive traffic to a website. I could drive traffic to yeah. my website through those. I could drive traffic to my profile on on LinkedIn through Twitter. And you could start seeing those connections. And once I started seeing those connections, I really started focusing on my target markets for those platforms and strategies for those platforms, you know, to, to grow that, to grow those followings. So this is, you were talking around 2002, 2003, but you've been doing this for 30 years, right? So I know you started when you were four years old, right? Four or five, right? Give or take a few years. I know you were a very early adopter, even you know, in diapers, I think at that point you were, you were doing some marketing stuff, but like what made you jump into, I obviously said you're, you started off in sales, which I always think is a good thing to understand because, you know, sales and marketing are always these two different departments that are trying to figure each other out, right? Like sales are always like, oh, we're not going to get enough leads and marketing's like, oh, they're just not closing them right. Not always, but you know, there's, there's always that friendly little thing that goes on. And so I think having a background in sales is definitely beneficial, but how did you, what, and so 30 years ago when you started, was that when you started doing sales or you don't have to fully disclose if it was later than that. And if you were two years old or whatever, when you started, well, I, 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 hell, I don't mind saying, I, I mean, I just, in January I turned 60. So Nice. And I'll, I'll tell you this. You look at people born the last five years of the baby boomers, 1959 through 1964. We are a dangerous and right on group. And from this perspective, think about this. In 1977, we're 18 graduating from high school. In 1981, it's when we're graduating from college. We're graduating at the exact same time Microsoft's coming out. IBM personal. I grew up, my dad had a Radio Shack franchise. I grew up with a TRS-80 computer. Yeah. So we sometimes talk about today's kids growing up with, you know, social media. We grew up with the computer and the internet, really. I mean, we were of an old enough age to understand that technology and to adapt it as it went. And so, you know, that made me early on to computers, early on to the internet. When social media came, you know, it was just a natural extension of what I was already learning on the go. Because at that point in my life, you know, I'm in my 30s. I'm in the prime of what I'm doing with NCR and everything. And I wasn't about to get left behind. So be watchful of those people born between 59 and 64, because we literally are the ones who grew up with this stuff. <laughs> well, that's, especially if your dad had a, a Radio Shack franchise, like that's like, for most kids, my dad was a, what well, was a counselor, but he was a teacher too. And so I remember we were one of the first to have one of a, a Mac computer. And this was, you know, when they were the big old Macs. And I remember like, uh, what was it Pioneer Trail? There was some other stuff I remember playing. And so I kind of felt like I was not an early adapter, but it was nice to have access to a computer because they were expensive, you know? Right. And obviously with your dad having a franchise or, you know, having some radio shacks, you were one of the first people to be able to try out a computer and you kind of, once again, an early adapter for sure. Ah, you know what, the other lesson I learned, and this is where for those, my 30 years, I've always been in the B2B space versus the consumer products, good space. And, and that is 
in working at that Radio Shack, I figured and learned that you could spend, it could be just as hard and spend just as much time selling a 49 cent diode to somebody as it was selling the $49 CB radio. <laughs> and so yeah. I want to want bigger deals. Uh, it's the same energy, the same time. And so I don't want to sell potato chips and soda pop or in shampoo. That's just not me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, usually that takes, uh, usually comes with wisdom later on down the road that you realize, wow, if it's the same amount of energy, but it sounded like you got a early dose of that early on and said, Hey, let me think here. Same amount of energy right. or commission or whatever that is. Exactly. It's like, it's a no brainer. Well, and like I said, sometimes it's just better to be lucky than it is to be good. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you're a nice combination of both. So that, that's good. So Tell me about CMO Tent. Like, so we've got, obviously it's your company, you've had it. How long have you been the owner? I started it in like 2006, 2007 timeframe. Yeah. A, a while now. Yeah. And again, this is an extension of just, I'll call it the lifelong learning. And that's, and for your younger listeners, they'll learn that in, in today's world, there's not going to be anybody who's going to give you a guaranteed lifetime employment contract. Not anymore. You're not going to get a gold watch at the at the end of the 30 or 40 years. And in fact, what you need to get used to in your mind is that at the end of the day, we're all freelancers. You might get a W-2 instead of a W-9, but you know we're all freelancers. And so knowing that this loyalty was is not the way it was for our fathers or grandfathers, I decided, well, I'm just going to make this easy. I mean, if somebody wants to hire me full-time in a W-2, that's great, but I'm okay if you just want to call it temporary interim or, or um, you know, fractional. So the way CMO temps works is the temps, the S is a, a little deceptive because actually I am the product and the service. I mean, I don't try and compete with marketing agencies. I try and use their staff or other freelancers and I don't try and compete with placement firms. I'm not trying to place other executives. I'm the product, I'm the service. And, and my focus is on the B2B world and typically it's B2B companies looking for lead generation and I'm going to generate that lead through this intersection of content marketing through engaging social media channels. Awesome. So that's cool. So I mean, the company is you. So it's like, that's what they're going to be getting, which I think is, you know, I've obviously seen your website and stuff. And I like that because it's funny. So we kind of look at ourselves, not necessarily exactly like what you do, but I mean, there's definitely similarities. We kind of look at ourselves like, hey, if you don't have a marketing department, we can come in like we have two different options. Like we can either work with you to help train your marketing department, or we can come in as your marketing department until you get that department. So you kind of doing the same thing of like, hey, you don't have a CMO right now, or you know that you need one. You have the budget for it. You're just not sure how to get things going. So why don't I come in? If it's a long-term project, that's great. If it's short-term, that's fine. Let me get this thing, keep everything moving, right? Because the idea is, is you don't want to stop for two, three, five, six months. But marketing needs to keep going. And so you come in and you're in that position. I think that's an interesting place, especially you thought about that 2007, 2008. That was, you know, I don't know if there was, I mean, there were CMOs, but I don't know if that, it was kind of an interesting time to come up with that idea and especially be able to play that out here 12 years later, which I think happens a lot. There's a lot of companies that lose that head of that position. And it's nice to be able to have somebody saying, Hey, listen, he has the experience, which obviously you do. I've seen your resume for, I don't know how many fortune 500, 1000 companies, AT&T and some other ones. And so I, I just think that's interesting that you can come in and, and kind of be that position and really it's kind of an, not an overnight thing, but it's something where they can come in and say, Hey, we need you right away. And you come in and there we go. And you figure out this, what you got going. And then you're in that interim play until they find somebody, or maybe it becomes a full-time position. So that's cool. I like that. Yeah, Ed, you're kind of spot on as far as, you know, in the small medium business, it could be that they know they need a CMO, but they're not ready to make a commitment to someone with my experience. So somebody that's fractional or helps them ramp up 
Whereas if I'm doing it with a larger company, a Fortune 100 company or whatever, it's more typically as kind of a coach or just an extra helping thoughts to the current CMO. And maybe it is just to, on, a, on some type of a project basis, you know, something specific to a, a lead generation program. In my career space anyway, you know, 1986 was what was a Black Friday. Well, the 2007, 2008 timeframe was the other downturn in the market. And so Oftentimes when there's that kind of economic upheaval, that's when new business models and ways yeah. of thinking seem to surface. That's awesome. That's great. And so, so you call yourself a digital rainmaker. And it's so funny. I actually heard the term rainmaker, I don't know how many times, and I've never like looked it up. I literally looked it up because I was like, I have to know what a rainmaker is. I had an idea of what it was in my mind, but give us a little like a definition of, for you what that is. <laughs> well, actually the definition, if you look it up as far as in, in the U.S., the slang definition would be a person who generates income for businesses by brokering deals or attracting clients. And that really is exactly what I'm doing, except I'm, well, not except, is that I do it through the digital media, social media combined with the content. That's interesting. Yeah. And your description is exactly what I looked up. I thought I have to look this up because I, like I said, I've seen it and I've never, I was like, I just have to know the, the true definition of it. So interesting. That's kind of cool. We're in a CMO for companies and obviously some of it is fractional and some of it is, you know, it just depends on what they need. Obviously you probably work for multiple companies at you know, two different times. Like, and it looks like you don't have a huge staff. So that's not one thing you don't have to manage tons of people. Right. It's all you as an individual. So that's, there's some efficiencies there for sure. Um, but how do you manage that if you have two or three gigs and, you know, obviously you're only one person. How does that work for you when it comes to managing those types of projects? Yeah. So this is the point where I get to tell you about how I've discovered through um, quantum physics, how to be in two places at once. Nice. <laughs> this is what I was, this is, this is, and cloning people. This is the reason why I wanted to interview. I knew that you were going to come with something that was just going to blow people away. Newly announced on Shane Barker's this is it. podcast. This is it. The quantum heard it first here. How CMOs can be in two places at once. <laughs> I can make double the income for with one person. That's why not, right? It really, I wish I could take credit for that, but you know, it's not rocket science. I mean, having a consulting background, especially from major consulting, I mean, anyone who's been a, a partner or at, you know, at that senior executive level within a consulting firm knows, you know, you work on billable hours. Mm -hmm. And so it's sometimes put myself out there for more hours than there actually are in a day. Well, sometimes because literally from my home office and from wherever, like I am right now, I'm the green screen behind me, I, I can look like I'm working from anywhere. And you know, the internet, yeah. never, the internet never shuts down. It's seven by, yeah. it's seven by 24. So really it's, I'm blessed from the perspective that I just take on the projects that I feel passionate about, really want to work on. And the ones that I think, oh no, their expectations are not even close. And I'm not even going to try and convince them to do it a different way. Yeah, I pass on those. So I'm taking the projects that I'm really passionate about and like, and then I will figure out how to, to bend the hours and, and put in what I need in order to deliver what I said I would help them get. So that's what's interesting. I think that, you know, I've been doing in the digital space for 20 years. And I think I've now I've seen that transition for my company of exactly what you touched on is where when I first started, I would take on any client. Like if you had a dollar and you had an idea, then I'm like, hey, let's take it on. You've got a dollar and I need a dollar. So like, you know, I feel like I have some expertise. And now we're obviously we we're very choosy with who we pick to work with because of, you know, we have qualifying stuff that we send people through. And if it looks like once again, the expectation is crazy. Hey, we want to give you, you know, $10,000, but we want to make 5 million. And I'm like, oh, well, of course, who wouldn't want to make that? Right. So right. we look at the types of things of qualifying questions for us is, 
a to see if it's a good fit on their side, but also for our side, you know, and that's, I don't think a lot of people realize that because they're used to, Hey, if I have a budget, then everybody's going to take that on. And for us, we look at it like, well, you have to be a good fit, have to be, you know, realistic. It's important to make sure it's good for both sides. And I think that some people kind of forget that when you first start off, once again, you're taking on anything you're going to take on the world. And I think as you get older, I like to think that I'm a little wiser in in what I look at a project and I kind of see through certain things and go, okay, this is a good fit or no, this isn't a good fit or, and they'll explain to the client why. I mean, I've had plenty of clients where I've said, hey, you're not a good fit. And they've almost got offended. Like, what do you mean I'm not a good, like, why am I not a good fit? I'm like, well, nothing to take personal. It's, it's just not a good fit for me, which you should appreciate that because if you're not a good fit and I take you on, that's not going to be good for either one of us. Right. It's really, you're spot on. I, and you know, for me, again, like you said, that, you know, the client will come and say, well, you know, you've got 90,000 Twitter followers. We're a new startup and we need to have 90,000 Twitter followers, you know, in the next couple of weeks. Well, (laughs) it's not going to work that way. You know, once again, I've been on Twitter since 2006 and this is a process and it's a process. I work seven days a week. I mean, it, it doesn't stop in trying to come up with the content to keep it fresh and and so setting their expectations so that their expectation of what the ROI is, is going to be is really, really important to me. I hate to disappoint people. I just, yeah. I'd rather, you know, shoot myself than disappoint someone. But I also know, I also know the way these platforms work today and everything, what's really possible and what's, what's not. Yeah. So setting the right expectations is really important. You touched on it a little bit about, you know, but you talked about Twitter and LinkedIn and a blog. Like when it comes to companies, like what is your, like, like I'm going to say secret recipe because it's probably going to be nothing too secret, but of like, talk about social media marketing and content marketing and how do those, how do you make those work smoothly, right? Because you did touch on, hey, here's a blog and then we put it on LinkedIn, you can put it on Twitter. Like how is that process? Like how are you a producing content either for yourself or your, for your clients, and then through the distribution of it, through the social media channels, like kind of go into that a little bit on, on what your, once it doesn't have to be the secret sauce unless you really want to just totally disclose um, everything that you do. But, you know, give us kind of an idea of like how you put that together. Right. So, I mean, it would be great just to, when Ted Turner was asked what the secret of his success was, he, just, he said, early to bed, early to rise, work like hell and advertise. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I like that. <laughs> I wish I could just, you know, roll something like that off my tongue, but it doesn't really work like that. Although I will say, you know, having worked for SaaS and you know, some of the business intelligence companies and stuff like that, I have kind of broke it down into a, a mathematical formula. And again, for me, remember that I'm in the B2B space and in the B2B space, you're working on solution selling, typically fairly high dollar type of, of solutions. And in that world, I mean, you do business with people you know, like, and trust. So trust is incredibly important. And so to ensure that social media and content marketing are really working together, if those two things are working together, that means your trust is going up. You're better than trust. And I see trust this way. Think of a, a mathematical formula, rapport times credibility and then divide that by risk. If my content and the way I'm using social media is building rapport, it's increasing credibility, it feels like I'm reducing the risk of of doing business with me, then that's going to give me a big trust number. And so I I focus on that formula and and think through of, of the sales funnel, increase interest, develop that first initial rapport, you know, finally getting in front of them, trying to find out what their needs, desires, and interests are to the close at the bottom, and then thinking through the content and the right social channels into the right persona in order to move a a sale down that perspective to closing it. 
Love it. I love that equation. That's, for me, I'm a very visual person. Obviously, they're not going to be able to see it on the podcast, but you putting that together with the risk underneath it, like that makes total sense, right? Because the idea is, is you want to be out there in the space. You want to educate people. You want to, you know, give them good value. And then you want to, they're obviously going to be, you're, you're pushing down some of those barriers of working with you because you're educating them. They say, this must be the right person because they're putting out a valuable piece of content. And then obviously, this is somebody that I would want to work with. So I love that. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing to think about that too, and why it is so long term is when you think about structuring some of those deals. I mean, if they, if the capital investment is, is on at the end of the day on a depreciation of three, four, five, seven years, I mean, you're talking about a sales process that doesn't come up every day. And so, you know, what do you do during the seven years that they're not even in the market because they're still depreciating out the, the system that they, they just purchased is, but you, you still are keeping that content out there thinking through the funnel because you, you still want to be top of mind in case that person changes jobs and goes to a different company or yeah. whatever the case might be. Well, that's what I think is valuable is that if you put out great content, a lot of the time it can be evergreen. So you always oh, have, I always absolutely. tell people more content you put out. That's another piece of real estate on Google. And that's important, right? I mean, the way that I'm a huge content fan because I did start my blog, I think probably seven years ago now, and that's all my stuff's inbound. Right. So that's, that's, I know the value of it. And I also understand the commitment level that it takes. And I understand that the financial, you know, what, what you have to put into it. I remember when I was first doing my blogs and I started paying some writers to help me with some stuff. My wife's like, so you're paying people to write for your blog. Like how many leads is that bringing you? I'm like, none right now, but I'm looking at the long-term yeah. play. Right. right. Like, right. Well, right. You're spending a lot of money on writers. And I'm like, yeah, it's cause I don't have the time. She goes, yeah, but is that equal money? And I go, not yet, but it will. So now that now that I have all the inbound leads, I'm like, so like yes. I got 10 leads today. And she's like, oh, and I'm like, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up with you real quick. And she's like, <laughs> Good for you. Yeah. 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 So it's it is nice to see. I mean, that obviously when you when you actually get that machine going and pulling people in through the funnel is is obviously it's kind of fun when that happens, oh. once you get at that point. So yeah, absolutely. Um but so what are some companies in your opinion that, that are like doing like either with social media or content marketing campaigns that are crushing it, that, that you look at and go, wow, they do a phenomenal job. And obviously, you know, they can either be the bigger companies that obviously have big budgets, or it can be um, a local company or somebody that you said, and maybe you've worked with them and helped them put their campaign together. But what's somebody that you would say, Hey, listen, they're doing a great job and explain why you think that is. Yeah. So, um, you know, this is where, Typically, somebody would 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 say one of the big brands like an Apple or or something like that, but I'm going to take a risk and say I don't think there's anybody knocking it out of the out, out of the park, particularly the big brands. And I'll tell you why. And and that is, well, I'll I'll give an example. Uh, let's let's take the, the the National Football League. I mean, what great brands each of those those teams have. Yeah. Yet, and let's just take Twitter. If you, if you look at their Twitter profiles, you'll find out that they follow back maybe 0.00001. Yeah. Did you know that social rejection activates the same part of the brain as physical pain? Mm. So when you're socially rejected, and if, if, if you're a, an avid fan of the Cincinnati Bengals and, and, and you, you're your profile picture has the Bengals background colors and, and, and stuff like that. Well, I mean, obviously you're a fan, you're not, a, you know, a, a kook. It, it takes less than a second to follow that profile back. And how good would that fan feel to be followed yeah. back by their favorite team? It costs that major brand absolutely nothing. 
and yet I know they're thinking, well, we don't have the time. Well, they have, they seem to be able to have time to do what they say is one-to-one marketing. <laughs> you got time yeah. to do one-to-one marketing. You don't have time to, to, to do that. And, and it is, it's literally causing pain to every, every um, fan or every, every customer of the brand when the brand doesn't return, you know, return that favor. And so there's just a lot of little things like that, that I, where I feel like brands are really, um, really missing uh, the opportunity of what social media and content marketing is, is really possible with it. Well, I think you touched on it. The thing is, is I think there's one thing of maybe them, the, the negative side is they don't follow you, right? Then you're like, wow, there's rejection there. But the upside is that if they do follow, like you said, I mean, you could lose your mind. If I, once you said, I'm a 49ers fan, if the 49ers followed me, I mean, I would probably talk about it for two weeks, three weeks, and it would solidify my, my, I guess my, um, my dedication to that brand, to that company. Right. So I do see there's, there's huge value in that. And I, I do think there's all social media has always been a learning curve for a lot of the brands. And I think we, as marketers have, you know, learned how to leverage it correctly and understand the value in that conversation that engagement, which is very, it's not even engagement. It's literally just following somebody back where somebody can, I mean, I don't, I've done that when I was starting my career off. Like if I had a celebrity or something follow me, I would literally screenshot that screenshot that I'd put it on Facebook. Oh my God, you know, X person. Now I look back at it. It's like, wow, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's like, a, I was like a, I don't know, like, a, I don't know, it's kind of a, a fanboy, I guess, of some of these brands. But um, it was exciting when they would do that. You know, and I remember people put on Twitter, hey, followed by, they would put on there, followed by Nike, followed by, and people were like, oh my God, that's awesome. And so I do think there's, there's, there can be some huge value in that. And that doesn't take tons of work, right? I mean, especially if you find the super fan, you want to find that evangelist that already loves your product, you go and follow them, like they're going to go get the tattoo. Like, you know, now they're, now it's really going to be solidified. Absolutely. It's so funny that you said that because, um, Ellen DeGeneres followed, followed me. I, I've never even watched her show. But when, when that happened, I'm like, well, maybe I should start watching the, the, the show. I have no idea why whoever manages her account decided to, um, you know, to do that. But I mean, to your point is that if, if the major brands would just think about that for, for one second, I, I think they'd really see an uptick in, in the engagement that they really got um, and how their ROI would really start improving on, on social media. Yeah. I like that. It's, and it's not that big of an effort, right? No, the idea is really follow back. Yeah. It doesn't need to be anything too crazy. Yeah. So, so what do you think are like one of the biggest misconceptions when it comes to like social content marketing? Like what, you know, if you say when you like, where's something you're reading a blog and you're like, Oh my God, if somebody brings this up one more time or talks about this one more time, these misconceptions, because obviously everybody, everybody has the right to write about anything they want. Right. And, yeah. and not to say that people's opinions aren't true, but the thing is, or what are something that you know firsthand that you read it and you go, Oh, if I see that one more time, I'm going to, I'm going to lose my mind or something. Yeah. So for me, and we've mentioned this the, the, the first time it has to do with time that it, that, that it can be done fast. The, the second thing that I'll say is that, and I just read the other day, um, I want to say Gartner reported that something in the order of, you know, a little over a, a third of marketing budgets now is, is dedicated to technology. And so the, the, the second thing I would say, besides the fact that it's, it's not going to be as fast as you thought it was going to be, and the second thing would be is that you can automate your way into, in, into success, that some some social media application out there and I know I just probably put me on the blacklist of every 
every time <laughs> out, out there they're going oh alan c cmo tim's that guy you know we're not hiring him he's an asshole <laughs> but, but really it's it is it, it is not about the technology the technology is not going to save you the technology is not going to all of a sudden spit out this great content and put it in the right place at the right time in front of the right audience with you know with the right message and the right 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 no the 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 applications aren't aren't going to to save you so i i mean that my perception is that's the 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 in fact you know people often ask me okay so what what is your favorite tool you know out there and to which i go I, my favorite tool are, are people and <laughs> it sounds people it sounds bad if i say oh, you're a real tool um but that, that's <laughs> that, that's not how i mean it i i think that people are the biggest investment or best investment you could put in, into this into social media is because if you've got great people who and train them train them make sure that they have empathy that they can really look into the eyes and through the eyes of, of the customer they're empathetic they they have they they can see how the customer's feeling and and then next of all empower them give them the power to fix that right now because a lot of people look at social media as better than the call center. You know, if I can get hold of somebody here quickly and they can help me figure, you know, this out, that's what I, I want to do. So it's, it's, this is more about an investment in people, helping them to become more human, to, to, to view the world with to empathy, to, to empower them. And that's what's really going to help um, a company more than it is, you know, buying more seats with of some, application because you want to automate some more yeah and i look at it that kind of the same way i mean i think software helps with some efficiencies right on yeah. some things but it's not going to replace the individual like i i get this when people go oh, what do you think about artificial intelligence and they're going to be writing soon and they're going to be doing this i'm not too worried about it yet i'm just not it's not going to it can write it i mean we have there was a long time ago, they had things where you could flip scripts and you could put in some stuff and they would write an article for you real quick. It never really took off unless you're doing like kind of spammy stuff. But I, I think the same thing with AI. And, and once again, there's always that human touch that you're, it's going to be, and not, we won't see it, but it's not going to replace us, right? I don't think there is, it can maybe help something. It can make things efficiencies a little better, but it's not going to, we're not in a situation where people are like, oh my God, my job's going to be replaced you're not there, not in what we do, I, I would say, maybe in other, in other industries, it's where there's efficiencies, but there'll always need to be in, in our industry. I think for now, of course, when they listen to this podcast in 30 years, you're going to be like, I got no yeah, yeah. Like was clueless. Yeah, right, right. But you know, I think today, I think we're still in the clear uh, in regards to anything like that. But I do think, the thing you touched on this time is, you know, it, it is, it's not a fast process, right? This is, this, and then anything we do, because, you know, when we do SEO or content or even social media, it's not just because you start sending out tweets yesterday, you write some content yesterday that it's going to happen overnight. If you're looking for something fast, that's a PPC play. And even then it's going to take some time to find a working funnel and the right audience and all that right. kind of stuff. So, you know, everything takes time. And I think that's one of the things that's where my qualifying questions, and I'm sure you do the same for potential brands of like, when we talk about what would be a home run and how quickly you're looking to get this done. And what do you think the you know expected results would be from that where we're kind of, you know, once again, making sure it's a good fit, because if you're out there in the moon and you know, want X, you know, you want the 80,000 followers on Twitter in the next you know month and a half, you're like, well, 
you'd have to start it probably about 13 years ago, which you're a little late on that. Not to say it's impossible, but it's like you, you'd have to put that investment in and let's set some realistic goals or KPIs internally to where we think that we can, you know, achieve those realistic results and not go off into the moon and, and offer, you know, and think that something crazy is going to happen when it's not. It, that's, it's really true. I mean, with, I can look at my 80, 90,000 followers. I have never, ever in, in my career paid for a Twitter follower. I, I don't, I don't do the paid advertising. It's all organic. Um, yeah. and, and so that, that type of, that type of growth, um, it's just, you know, it takes the time investment. There's no, exactly. there's no other way to do it. It was, there isn't you're really, and that's kind of like you're, when I say I'm the product and the service, you're, you're paying for the hard roads I've already gone down. Yeah. And, and, Which is huge value. That's the point of being exactly. a CMO or a consultant, right? Yeah. And the idea is, is you don't, I don't want to, I don't want to make the same mistakes that you made. You already paid for them. Right. So now I, the idea is I'm paying for your time. So you teach me so I don't make those same mistakes. And that's what I think the value of either a mentor or, or you know, something oh, like yeah. that. I think people under like they don't understand the value of that because it's like consulting like yeah but they're so expensive but I'm like you have to realize like what it costs me to learn this like these can be hundred thousand dollar mistakes that we've made along the road that we've learned that I'm literally telling you for my measly hourly rate um, you know and if you look at that I'm never gonna break even on the, the mistakes I made but the idea is, is that I'm gonna educate you so that you don't go make those same mistakes so there's you know there's there's huge value in that I think sometimes that's kind of people don't understand that but I think the people that do I, you know, like I'll have, I have certain people reach out and it's like, I'll tell them my hourly is and they don't even flinch. Like, Hey, I get it. Like, that's not a problem because of what, I mean, it would take me six months, a year, 10 years, 20 years to learn what you understand. If not, I could just tap into your brain, get all the good stuff for, you know, get that 2% of what I really need. And then I could be out the door and I've learned that, you know, and then go on to the next person. So I, I don't know. I think there's the people that understand, understand the people who don't, they just don't understand like, oh, why are you charging so much? I don't know. There's a reason for that. Um, because I'm giving you the goods. Yeah. Or they're like, why are you charging it? I mean, I'm sure you'd run into this on, on LinkedIn. Somebody will fire a question at you and you're kind of looking at it and kind of, you want to say, well, actually I could answer that question, but where would I send the bill? <laughs> and they're like, well, this is supposed to be about free collaboration and everything. I'm like, well, that's my business model. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's funny the way that I've dealt with those over the years is that you know, depending if it's a really easy question, what I will oh, do yeah. is I'll go look at my, my website and I'll say, Hey, this is where I wrote about that. So I have a nice little repository of content. Yeah. If it's a big one, like, Hey, I want to learn how to do social media marketing for this client. Then I'm like, then what I'll do is I'll send them something and say, well, so obviously are you looking for consulting hours or how did you want to structure this? Yeah. And you know, and I'm not to them, not here to help people, but when you ask me these crazy questions, like literally how do I put a strategy together for this? Like that's not a two minute, three minute answer of, Hey, let me help you out. You're literally trying to, the way I look at it is you're trying to grab all my knowledge and you're really not offering me anything for that, right? Well, that is true. It's not that I feel like there has to be a dollar exchange every time. It's kind of like, okay, I can see what's going to be in that for you. Now, what would there be in it for me to, you know, to do that? I'll bite. Go ahead and tell me. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's funny. So I just had a company reach out to me. And the thing is, if I had a dollar for every company that reached out to me to A, be included on my blog or, you know, some, it's, it happens every single day. And we have different ways that we're working with. We're dealing with that now. And it's, you know, now they can do sponsored posts and some stuff. And then we'll see who's really serious about, you know, being included. But I had a gentleman from a company that I talked with this week and he came in. And what I loved about it is that he was very much like, hey, how can I help you? This is what we do for you. This, you can write 
write for our blog. This is what we do. This is how many people. And what we were looking at for on our side was we were wondering maybe if you could do this. And for me, there we go. Like you're offering value. You're making it a win-win. You come with a plan that makes sense to me. And it's not, I mean, it's very easy to say, hey, will you help me out? The problem is in the beginning, I didn't have a problem with that. The problem is when I get to a point where I've had a thousand people in a year that have asked for help, it becomes a situation where it's like, it just needs to be a win-win in any situation. Like you need to explain the value of, of how both people can win from the situation. And I think when that happens, you better understand you value people's time. I mean, I know um, Dennis, a buddy of mine, and for him, if you go and ask him questions and he'll say, hey, go here and go ahead and give me, you know, one hour, two hour consulting, just tell me how long you think it's going to take and we can go ahead and set that up. And he's getting rid of the tire kickers, the people that are just going to continue to ask questions because once again, not a problem to answer that, but you know, if we get 10, 15, 20, 30 questions a day, it really, really starts to take up your, your bandwidth. Well, and this is where, I mean, you also need that, that quantum physics machine is that, yeah. you know, to be in, for people who, you know, might work for a big company and they have a big staff and, and so they don't realize that, I mean, you're it, you're the show. And every minute you take answering, they think it's just a sidebar, quick question. That's, that's the minute I'm not doing the paid engagement work or, you know, for a client that's expecting a delivery. So I have to really be, as you do, you have to be guarded of, of your time in that way. Absolutely, absolutely. So we're we're about the end of this thing, boy. We I tell you, we we knocked through this thing today. I was it was awesome interview. So yeah, this was if anybody needs, yeah, absolutely. If anybody needs to get in contact with you, where can they uh, give us some information? So the, you know, my website is cmotemps.biz. I'm lucky that my name isn't that common. There is an Alan C who's a clothier in Hong Kong, I, I believe that I compete with for page one organic Google results. <laughs> But you can yeah, Google my name and I, you'll, you'll get one of my websites or, or social profiles. But really, the uh, cmotemps.biz is the, would be a great way to reach out to me. Awesome. And I got one more question for you. So if money wasn't a concern, what would you do every day if you didn't have to work? Like, I can't imagine you not working, just judging from this last hour. I think you would, you know, you'd probably drive you crazy because it would drive me nuts. Yeah. Let's say money wasn't an issue. What would you do if it wasn't working? So this is going to sound like a, a total cop-out, but I mean, you mentioned your wife and working with her on how you're going to spend and everything. I sleep with and live with my board of directors <laughs> and, and by uh, total support um, from, from, from my wife. And so, I mean, I am already doing exactly what I want to do. And as long as I stay in good health, I don't see why I, I should even stop. So as long as I have her as my, you know, support network. Again, I'm a, a lifelong learner. I don't see any reason to to, uh, to turn off the learnings that I'm doing in that that regard. And you know, whether it's Twitter or some other new social platform or some other way of of marketing, as long as I'm able, I'm going to stick with it. And you know, I, I may get to the point where. I'm spending more time with the history and the events with the Sons of the American Revolution. I believe it or not, I've got the whole costume. So I take part in the parades and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Their motto is about education, history, and patriotism. And so I, yeah. I'm really into that. But other, other than pursuing the, the history aspect of it, I like what I'm doing. There we go. Well, shout out to Alan's wife. Boy, uh, yeah, she's an amazing woman. Boy, I'll tell you. That's awesome. Well, good deal, Alan. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time today. Have an awesome Friday, and uh, we'll let you guys know when the podcast goes live. I will definitely be tweeting about it. That sounds like a plan. Thank you, sir. Have an awesome day. All right, thanks. Thanks.